Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 17 today as we work our way through this book of Romans, the letter that changed the world. Today we're going to talk about squandering privileges. I grew up in a home where my parents felt like college was important, and my dad made a commitment that he would pay for my college. So I thought that was great, and I signed up for my first semester at University of Texas at El Paso, and got involved, took a full load, was all excited. I was a geology major, and about halfway through the semester, I've I dropped this class, and then I dropped that class, and I dropped that class, and I ended up with about half, I think maybe even a third of the credits I needed for that semester. Second semester rolled around, I did the same thing. Third semester rolled around, I did the same thing, and I squandered this incredible opportunity. Ended up dropping out of school, getting a job, and uh, a few years later, went back to school, and guess who got to pay for it then? Yeah. And I thought about how I had this incredible privilege for my dad to pay for college, and I just blew it. The Jews had these incredible privileges that God gave them. We're going to look at those advantages and privileges today, yet they squandered those privileges. We've seen that God revealed himself to the Gentiles in, in, in general revelation through the natural world, and then Paul said they are without excuse. Then he talked about in the next chapter how God revealed himself uh, through the Jews. The Jews are without excuse, and he names them by name right here. Someone said this is a stunning indictment on the Jewish people. So let's look at these. You ready? You follow along as I read aloud. Verse 17 in chapter 2. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rest in the law, boast in God, know his will, and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law... And if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the full expression of knowledge and truth in the law. Let's just stop right there, okay? This this in the original language is one long sentence. It's Paul, and I just can imagine Paul uh, dictating these incredible truths and, and, and trying to get all the dictation taken down as Paul is just going on about this, these advantages that the Jews had. So we're just going to stop right there. Um, some have called this section a, a catalog of their boasts of superiority. So number one in your outline, if you're taking notes, the advantages of being a Jew. What are those advantage, and advantages? And, and it's been cataloged several different ways. I'm going to list it as nine. Some of these go together, but I'm separating them. Nine advantages that the Jews had. Number one, letter A, possessing the name Jew. Possessing the name Jew. In verse 17, now if you call yourself a Jew, he's naming them, but they called themselves that. It was a a special privilege that God had given them. In Exodus chapter 19, God said, I'm going to call you out, a people, as my own possession, to be my people, to be different from the other peoples of the earth. So it was a a special thing to be called a Jew. What a a privilege they had. And, And what had happened here is they had just sort of gotten in the mindset by this time that just because they were born... As a nation, in the, the Jewish nation, that they had this special relationship with God, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I know when we went to Thailand, we got to meet Carissa there for one of, for part of her mission trip. We go to Thailand, you talk to the Thais, and they're Buddhist. 
They just say that because they're Thai, it's synonymous with being Buddhist. You go to India, pretty much they say because we're Indian, we're Hindus. And wherever you go, people seem to have this sense that because of the nation they're in and that religion that goes together, well, the Jews took that to the next step and say not only are we Jews because we're Jews, but we have this special relationship with God. They possessed his name. Secondly, they rested in the law. So possessing his name, the name Jew, resting in the law, verse 17. Some translations have a different word there, but I think rest is the, the best word. They put their, their, all of their support, all of their weight on the fact that the law was there for them. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. The third thing, boasting about a relationship with God. He says in verse 17 there, you boast in God. Now I have, I have the word in relationship, in quotes in my outline, because they, they thought they had this intimate love relationship with him, but they really didn't. They, it was in name only. And some translations say that they were bragging and, and looked at this whole, this whole passage as them bragging. I'm not sure that fits. I think boasting is a good word. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah, uh, they were told to boast in the Lord. So that may be a good thing for them, but it was a privilege they had that they could say, we belong to God. The, th- the fourth thing, knowing God's will. Look at verse 18. It says, you know his will. Knowing God's will, the, the Old Testament, the law that Moses had given them, the, the, the Jews knew that. I love what one study guide said. If we don't live up to what we know, we're no better than the pagans. That was the Jews. They had all of this truth, all of this knowledge, all of these guidelines that God had given them about how to live in relationship with them, but they were not living up to them. Possession is not enough. Having the law, knowing the law, saying, I've got the details down, intellectually is not enough. The next truth, letter E, approving the things that are superior. That's literally what is is verse 18. Approve the things that are superior. We're not sure exactly what Paul means by that. Several things have been suggested that he's saying that they were able to make moral and ethical decisions. Some said it's just because they know what's right and wrong. I I like what's, what's implied here is that they knew the privileges they had and they could discern what was better, what was good, and, and uh, what really mattered in life. So that's a privilege the Jews had because of their relationship with God, because of the law, because of God's will. Now these next two, some put together, but I've separated them. Guiding the blind, verse 19. You were a guide to the blind. The blind meaning anybody that's outside the Jewish faith. A guide to the blind. Um, by the way, Jesus talked to the Pharisees and said, you're blind guides. <laughs> Instead of being a guide to the blind, the Jews ended up being blind guides. The next one, letter G, is being light in the darkness, or light to the darkness. They saw themselves. It was what God called them to be, guides, a light. I've got a little truth there. By the way, we have little bullet points there. Those are just some points of application to help you take these truths home. People are making up their minds about God by watching you. Now, I'm taking this from the context of what Paul is saying to the Jew. It's implied, and he says it specifically later, God's role for the Jews was for the Jews to live it out so the rest of the world would see that and want relationship with him, that they would be a light to the world, that they would be that city on a hill that everyone would see. It didn't work out that way. You need to understand that people are looking at you. They're making up their mind about God. The the pagan world that the Jewish people interacted with were making up their mind about the God of the Bible by what they saw lived out in the lives of the Jews. And unfortunately, we have a record in Scripture of how that didn't always work out. A light to those in the darkness. Are you being a light? People are making up their mind about God by watching you. The second truth from this section... A life of religious legalism, which is what the Jews lived, 
So we're making application to us. A life of religious legalism is distasteful to those who are outside of the faith. People look at a life of legalism with with no relationship, with no spirit, with, with just cold going through the motions. Ritual, they look at that and it's distasteful to them. They don't want anything to do with that. The Bible says we're to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Got to have a date with my daughter this week. We went to the barbecue place. One of our favorite things to do is go eat. If we don't go eat, we stay home and eat. We just love to do that. So we went to eat barbecue. As we got out of the car, there's a, there's a barrel barbecue pit that looks like a cow with smoke coming out of it. And I'm not sure if there's a brisket in there or not. It's pretty risky out in the front of the place in the parking lot, but it, man, it smelled good. It, just, it, just, it was advertising. Come on in and get some barbecue. And if we weren't in the mood for it before we got there, we really were then. That's what we're to be to the world. That's what the Jews were to be. They were to be not distasteful, but their life and their relationship with God was to cause people to be hungry for God. Want some barbecue. To want that, that savoring aroma, that, that aroma that's going out there to say, I want a part of that. Let's go back to the text now, verse 20. An instructor of the ignorant. So they were instructors of the ignorant. Ignorant meaning those outside the Jewish faith, those that didn't know the truth of the scriptures. Instructors. And then, again, some group these together, letter I, teachers of the immature. Teachers of the immature, verse 20. You know, if you read the Jewish text from Paul's day, the, even the, the generation before that going into the, the first century, and you read what the rabbinical writings were, you find these themes throughout that the Jews were always looked at as guides, teachers, uh, instructors, light. They always refer to themselves as that. And the Gentile world, everybody that wasn't Jew, is always looked at as ignorant, foolish, darkness, immature. And Paul is just taking those themes that that has been in the culture and saying, this is what you think of yourselves. These are some, some privileges, some advantages you have. As I was studying this this week, this may have occurred to you a long time ago, but it just occurred to me in a, in a new way this week that the guy that's writing this book has been accused of being anti-Jewish. They, some have taken this passage that I just read and said this is anti-Semitic, that it's, it's slamming the Jews. We'll look at that in just a minute. We see how they didn't live up to it. And I got to thinking, the guy that wrote this passage is the Apostle Paul. Now, let me read you about the Apostle Paul. If you want to turn there, it's Philippians chapter 3. You might know his story. Here he's defending his, 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 uh, who he was. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Although I, was one, I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, this is Paul writing, okay? I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul lived what he's talking about here. He was a Jewish Jew. He was everything that the Jewish faith had, yet we're going to find how he says, once again, he discovers that was not enough. Here's the final application for this first section, gleaning from what Paul writes about the Jews. It's easier to say the right words than to allow them to take root in your life. 
It's easier to say the right words than allow those words to take root in your life. We can speak it all day long. We can talk the talk. Here's what I believe about the Bible. Here's what I've memorized. Here's what I know. And we can do that. It's so easy to say that, but not to allow the word of God to take root in our lives. Listen to what Jesus said about those Jews, the leaders of his day. In Matthew chapter 23, I want to read this whole section, but just verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed, self-indulgence, blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup so the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Well, there's a bunch of woes in here. I'm just reading a couple of them. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. Can I say the application to us is be careful that we don't become whitewashed tombs, that we don't on the outside look like we've got it all together and and profess to have all these truths, yet on the inside there's been no change. Now, Paul addresses the inconsistencies here with some rhetorical questions. Look at verse 21. These are the inconsistencies of the Jews. He's continuing the same sentence that I paused for you to give you a break. You then... Who teach one another, or who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say, you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Let's just walk through these inconsistencies. Again, rhetorical questions. Uh, the answer to these is what Paul is saying is this is the way you're living. First of all, teaching others, but not heeding your own teaching. Verse 21, teaching others, but not taking heed to your own teaching. Be careful of that. There's a lot in scripture of the, the caution about teaching the word of God, that you need to be careful that you're, that you're right with the Lord, that you're in obedience, that there's no inconsistencies there. Not heeding your own teaching. Telling people what they ought to do, yet not being willing to do it yourself here's the truth a reminder for us those who proclaim the gospel cannot be indifferent to the demands of the gospel those of us who proclaim the gospel whether you're standing in a pulpit like this on a mission trip like carissa was standing in some of those those rural settings or city settings sharing the gospel whether it's wherever you are whatever the context you cannot be indifferent to the demands of the gospel in your own life teaching the Bible, but not heeding your own instruction. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this. I like the way he words this. He says, as you read your Bible day by day, do you apply the truth to yourself? What is your motive when you read the Bible? Is it just to have knowledge of it so that you can show others how much you know or argue with them? Or are you applying the truth to yourself? As you read, say to yourself, this is me. What is it saying about me? Allow the scripture to search you, otherwise it can be very dangerous. There is a sense in which the more you know the Bible, the more dangerous it is to you if you do not apply it to yourself. Well said. I got to write some books. That's a joke. There he has. Do you find yourself there just reading the Bible to get information? 
and not letting it change your life. Maybe you're asked to teach a Bible study and so you've got to get all this information and you just spit it out, but it hasn't changed your life. Be careful about that. Second inconsistency, back to the text in verse 21. Teaching one another, do you teach yourself? Do you preach? You must not steal, but steal. So preaching against stealing, but stealing. Saying it's wrong to steal, yet you're a thief. I remember a man in my first pastorate, I'd gone out to visit him. Uh, We were in a little county seat town and had to go out in the country to to meet most of the folks that spoke English where we were. Talking to this one guy, he's leaning up against his tractor truck, I'm not sure, out there on his property. And and he was telling me all about how important it was that we use the King James Bible and that we teach our people to tithe and, and on and on and on and just all that. And I was listening to him. And by the way, the reason I was visiting him is because he hadn't been to church in a decade. And I thought, here's this guy telling me about everything we ought to do in Scripture that he knows because he studied it. He's not living it. Everybody ought to tithe, he said. And I, I wasn't very bold back then, but I might say now, well, are you? That's where the Jews were. They, had, they were so adamant about making sure they had the law right, but they weren't letting it change their life. Stealing. Letter C, preaching against adultery, but committing adultery. May have been adultery of the heart even, as Jesus talked about. Next one, detesting idols, yet robbing temples, verse 22. Detesting idols, yet robbing temples. Now, the meaning of this is unclear, all right? I'm really not sure exactly what Paul is at here. Some have said that, that it's just a figurative statement that's made. I think probably the best explanation I've seen is possibly the Jews had relaxed their, their, their restrictions on what kind of metals could be given for use in the temple, uh, and they were taking for use in worship, and they were taking idols that had been melted down in pagan temples. I, I'm not sure what Paul says there, but there's a, there's a sense in that they preached and spoke against idolatry, but they really didn't stand against it like they should. Letter E, boasting. This is a summary statement, all right? In verse 23, a summary statement. Boasting in the law, yet breaking the law. Boasting in the law, yet breaking the law. He says, you boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking it? Someone said, the question is not, do I have a copy of God's word that reveals God's will, but does the author of God's word have me? That's the key. Am I boasting about my translation or my background or my doctrine or who I follow or whatever? That's not as important as change lives. Lawbreakers. That's what he called them. Just let that sink in for a minute. Paul is really, you talk about really making some strong statements to the keepers of the law. Lawbreakers. Thought about the car that got pulled over out on Highway 35 and uh, the BPS, the state trooper, stopped these ladies and they were going down the road and they were going too slow. And uh, the lady said, why'd you pull me over? And the, the, the state trooper said, well, it's dangerous. They're supposed to be going 75 miles an hour here, and you're going 35, you're going to get run over. And, and she said, oh, that's the speed limit? 75? So I thought it was 35. He said, no, ma'am, that's, this is Highway 35. <laughs> and then the trooper realized why all the other ladies in the car looked like they'd seen a ghost when she said, I'm so glad to know that. We just got off of Highway 181. And I'm... <laughs> I'm glad to know which is the sign we're supposed to follow. You got to know the law. 
You've got to know the law. But more important, you need to let the law change you. Last advantage, dishonoring the name of God by their inconsistencies. Again, another summary statement. Paul takes Isaiah 52.5, which, by the way, was the, a statement about the pagans who are oppressing Israel, and now he makes application to Israel who thinks they're special, and the pagans are all on the outside. Dishonoring the name of God by their inconsistencies. He says it's written, that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Ouch. Jew, people of God, called, set apart, light to the world, beacon of God, so that all can know you're blaspheming God by the way you're dishonoring him, by the way you're living your life. Here's a truth for us, just one. If we claim to be one of God's people, our lives should reflect what God is like. If we claim to be one of God's people, our lives should reflect what God is like. Not our own interpretation, our own whatever distorted view we may have of Scripture, but should reflect God himself. Their lifestyle, because they claim to be the people of God, should have been pointing people to God. And by the way, they could have been inconsistent and confessed that they were inconsistent, that they have a loving, merciful, heavenly Father who forgives, and that still would have pointed people to God, but they wouldn't do that. They were boastful and proud about it all. Be careful about claiming to be a child of God, yet dishonoring Him and not reflecting who He is. I talked with a woman one time about coming to church, and she said, well, I'm not going to that church because I used to do business with one of your church members. And his... See, his practices were unethical, so I'm not going there. What do you say? I just pled with her. I said, we're all imperfect, and fortunately she was open. God's Holy Spirit was working on her, and she opened her heart to Christ and all that other stuff God dealt with. But what a, what a sad commentary on us, the people of God. Now let's look at verse 25. I said that Paul is really hitting the Jews hard here, the two hallmarks, the two key cornerstones of their, their, their faith, the law and circumcision, which was the mark of the covenant with Abraham, the people of God, Father Abraham. That's what, that was their sign. That was their mark that they belonged to him. Now Paul addresses circumcision. Look at verse 25. For circumcision benefits you who observe the law, but if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will his uncircumcision not be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically circumcised but who fulfills the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For, this is verse 28, Paul is just hammering them. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but God. By the way, it's interesting. They call themselves a Jew. It comes from the word Judah, Judaism. That word is the word praise. When Judah was born, his mom said, God's given me a son, I'll name him Judah, praise. And he wraps that up with this right here, to praise God. That's where your name comes from. It's interesting. 
Someone said Paul pursues the Jew into his last retreat. Not just the law, but circumcision as being the mark of the covenant. And he addresses it. It's interesting that there was a rabbinic saying that during that time that said circumcision is equivalent to all the commandments of the law. They saw it that highly. During this time before this, when there was a, a, a king, a, a really tyrant of a Greek king, he persecuting the Jews. And it was the Maccabean revolt, and the Jews stood up and said, we're not going to put up with that. He knew what circumcision meant to the Jews, so he decided to make it a capital offense to anybody who circumcised their children. Just, just right to the heart of their faith. And they, they stood their ground and said, we're not going to give into that. We're going to continue to do this. It's so important to us. So you can imagine that after they overcame in that revolt, the Jews of Jesus' day, they were going to stand on circumcision. You look at the New Testament, you look at what Paul had to deal with, you look at the book of Galatians and Acts, I think it's 15, where the, 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 the issue of circumcision had to be dealt with. No wonder with all that going on that the Jews who got saved in the, in the, as the gospel was being spread after Pentecost, the Jews in Jerusalem wanted people to be circumcised in addition to accepting Christ. No wonder. Paul says right here, man, what a, what a couple of statements. Basically, he's saying, and I'll just break it down for you, that if they broke the law, circumcision has no value. Verse 25, uncircumcision is the way Paul writes it here. If they broke the law, circumcision has no value. It's just outward sign. Secondly, if the Gentiles obeyed the law, the uncircumcised, if the Gentiles obeyed the law, they would be considered God's people. That's what he says in verse 26 there. An uncircumcised man meets the requirements. Letter C, Gentiles who obeyed the law condemn the Jew who broke the law. A man who's physically uncircumcised, a Gentile, but fulfills the law, judges those Jews who are lawbreakers. And then lastly, and this is the heart of it, verse 28 and 29, just summarizing it this way, a true Jew is the person who is inwardly changed, not outwardly. One who is inwardly changed, not outwardly. Douglas Moo says, by Paul making that statement in verse 28 and 29, he has to spend the rest of the book of Romans explaining that to them because it was revolutionary to those hearing it. I thought about in our culture, the folks, this truth addresses the Jews where they were, but there's something similar in, in, the, in, in our culture of Christianity. We have an outward symbol of a, of a covenant relationship with God. We call it baptism. Whenever I baptize someone, I try to say this is an outward testimony of an inner conversion experience. This, this baptismal water doesn't wash away your sin. This rite, this, this rite of baptism doesn't make anybody a Christian. It's just an outward symbol of an inner conversion experience, an inner change. That's what Paul is saying about circumcision. Don't just do it on the outside. It's, it's changed lives that matter, the inner life. We'll close with these two bullet applications. Genuine faith is about the matter of the heart. Genuine faith is about the matter of our heart motives as much as about action. Jesus wrote, taught about it. Uh, Matthew wrote about it in Matthew 5. Remember, he talked about murder and, and, and hatred in the heart or adultery and, and lust. It's, it's, it's a heart matter, the motives. And don't miss this last point. Outward rituals do not secure a home in heaven. Outward rituals do not secure a home in heaven. But pastor, I've been baptized. I've walked an aisle. 
I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Catholic, I'm a whatever. I'm in this, this denomination, I've done all this external stuff. Surely I'm going to heaven. No. So Paul says here, if anybody could claim religion to be a way to get to heaven, the Jew could. And Paul even lists that, if anybody had a right to claim it, but they didn't. He says, you're without excuse. When I talk to kids about baptism, I, I talk about marriage, and I, I take my wedding ring off, and I can take it off now because I'm skinny. No, it's because I bought a bigger ring, all right? I take that wedding ring off, and I say, this wedding ring is a symbol that I'm married to Miss Kelly. 35 years ago, I said, I do, and she said, I do, and we entered into a covenant marriage relationship, and we sealed the covenant by putting rings on our fingers. So I say to those kids, this this doesn't make me married. My commitment to her makes me married. This is a symbol of my commitment to her. That's what Paul is saying about circumcision. That's what we say about baptism. It's only a symbol. Let me challenge you. If you've just gone through the motions, but you haven't trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you just have the symbol. You have the outward sign. We've had some folks recently come and say, to different people in our congregation, our staff, pastors, I, I, I feel like I've gone through the motions and I really never have trusted Christ as my Savior. That may be you. Now, Paul's talking about the Jew here. And we're going to talk more about the Jew as we walk through the rest of the book of Romans. But I want to make one last application. Tim, Timothy Keller has taken this and asked a question about this passage and I think it's appropriate to look at it this way. Again, this is, the, this is not the, what Paul was saying to the Jews, but, but I believe it's by implication what he's saying to us. He says, go in that passage about circumcision and substitute the word baptism or church membership. And then he paraphrases it this way. So what if you've been baptized? So what if you're a church member? This only counts for anything if there's been a real change in your life, if your heart has been truly affected. Don't you know that you are not a Christian if you are only one externally? That real Christianity is not about having confidence in external things? No. A Christian is someone who is a Christian inside. What matters is inner baptism, a heart membership of God's people. And this is a supernatural work, not a human one. I'll just close with that question. Have you trusted Christ as your personal Savior? Has it been an inner change of your life where you, by a decision of your will, said, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior? Lord Jesus, come into my life. Take over. Take control. I give my life to you. Or have you just walked an aisle, filled out a card, prayed a prayer, been baptized? That's, that's the question. Let's pray.